All right, so we're going to begin a new series this morning. It's going to be a five-part series in the Psalms called How Blessed. And that has two meanings. I'll mention that in just a minute. But just so that you know where we're headed, um, this morning, Psalms 1 and 2. Next week, Psalm 32, then Psalm 34, then Psalm 40, then Psalm 84. So you can get started now um, soaking in those passages if you'd like to. Um, After that, if you're interested, um, the beginning of April, we are actually coming up on our 70th anniversary, if you can believe that. So April 6th is technically our 70th anniversary. Um, So on April 3rd, we're going to kind of commemorate that, and I'm actually going to preach on Psalm 90 that Sunday. Hopefully that'll be a fitting text for us. And then after Easter, we're going to actually head in to the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to be in Mark for quite some time, um, probably through the end of the year. So if that's helpful to know where we're headed, that's where we're headed. So how blessed? Why is that the title of this series? Well, the meaning is twofold. You can kind of get at it by either putting a question mark or an exclamation point at the end of those two words. Get it? So how blessed? Like, how can you be blessed? Where's the path of blessing? How do I find it? How do I walk it? That's the first purpose of this series, I guess you could say, because each of these psalms has the phrase in it, how blessed is the man, or how blessed is the one, or how blessed are those who, and then it finishes the sentence in different ways. So in one sense, we're going to see what the path of blessing is. Don't you want to know where that path is? Don't you want to walk that path? I think we all do. And then secondly, put an exclamation point at the end of those two words. How blessed. And that's actually the sense in Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who walks not, sits, doesn't sit, stand, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So, oh, the blessedness of this person. So again, that ends up functioning like an invitation. If you see that this is what happens in the life of someone who lives this way, they are so blessed, I want to get in on that, (laughs) right? So it functions like an invitation. So that's what holds this series together. There are other psalms that have this phrase in it, but we're just going to look at five. So this morning, Psalms 1 and 2. Let's read Psalm 1, dive in, and see what God has for us this morning. So blessed is the man, or how blessed is the man, or oh, the happinesses of the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, or you could even say cynics. It's kind of a... Our, our day and age is full of cynicism. But, it's a strong adversative here, to the contrary, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of Yahweh, Yahweh's Torah. And in his Torah, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, 
but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord, for Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So this psalm is placed at the entrance to the Psalter on purpose. Okay, it's like this is the entry point. This is the door, the doorway into the Psalter. And immediately, as soon as you enter the door, you're asked, where are you going? Where are you headed? There's a fork in the road right from the get-go. There's only two paths. Blessed is one way. The other way, you perish. So look at the first word, blessed. Look at the last word, the wicked will perish. Okay, so this is serious business, this psalm. And we want the blessed path, don't we? So how do we walk that path? What is that path? That's what this psalm is all about. So we'll unpack it this way. The the blessed path, he who is blessed, she who is blessed, resists the world and runs to the word. Okay, let's take them each in turn. So first, resist the world. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who does not stand in the way of sinners, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So where do you get your counsel? Who are you hanging out with? Like, this is all about thinking and behavior, walking, and belonging. So sitting with, you know, you're kind of taking residence, you're hanging out with. This is, these are my people. So where do you get your counsel? Where are you taking your cues? The world bombards us all the time with its values and its counsel. We need to resist the world's counsel and its ways and its toxic attitudes And when we resist those things, that's actually part of what it looks like to walk the path of blessing. This is like Romans 12 too. We considered that in previous weeks in the Values series. Do not be conformed to this world. This world wants to squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Again, as you bathe it in the word, how blessed is the one who runs from the influence of the world, but runs to the influence of the word. God's wisdom, his counsel, his teaching, his delight, verse two, is in Yahweh's Torah. So ESV translates it law, and you might think 10 commandments, or maybe you think the Pentateuch. Okay, but that's kind of too narrow. It's too reductionistic, okay? So the Torah of Yahweh is his instruction. It's his teaching. So ultimately, it's his word, functionally, for us. So his delight is in the word. And in the word, he meditates day and night. So it's not just duty. We need, it needs to capture our hearts, okay? But it's also not just an emotional thing that doesn't get down to brass tacks. It also takes action and there's meditation day and night. So what is meditation? In a sense, this is like one of the main purposes of this series. Can I just, I'll just level with you. Like this is one of my main purposes in doing a series on these Psalms is to encourage us to meditate 
on God's word? Do you know what, what it means to meditate on the word? Do you, do you meditate on God's word? Well, first, let's make sure we know what it is. So in Hebrew, it's Hagah. So actually an onomatopoeia. Who knows what onomatopoeia is? <laughs> okay, like buzz or um, hush, okay, or hiss. So the word sounds like what it is. So Hagah is like this um, muttering to yourself. Actually, the same word, kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people's plot? Imagine, you know, nefarious figures, you know, in their closed rooms plotting, you know, that's what's happening. Same word as meditate. So it's not emptying your mind. Meditation, you know, in this world is like emptying your mind. White paper, white paper. No, that's not it. You want to fill your mind. You want to focus your mind on truth, substantial truth, weighty meaty truth, God's truth. So focusing your mind and filling your mind with God's truth. Tim Keller says this, meditation is reflecting on God's word so that you can sense the reality of the truth in your heart. It's looking at the word like a thirsty tree looks at water. Okay, so that's different than just reading and checking off the box. You got to slow down so that you can drink in the word. You actually may need to slow down your Bible reading program so that you can actually drink in, feed on, get that word down into your soul in this sense. So let me just give a couple other descriptions of what meditation is like because I think it can be helpful. So I've heard about Meditation is like putting a text on the front burner of your mind on simmer. You know, good things happen when you, you don't just stick something in the microwave, you put it on the front burner on simmer and just takes time to cook it right. The juices are flowing. Or imagine putting a scripture lozenge on your tongue and just letting it dissolve. Or someone once said meditation is like the head descending down into the heart. Okay, we don't want it to just go in one ear out the other. Isn't that easy for that to happen? You know, we're like in a, in a rush, we read. I have no idea what I just read, but you know, at least I tried. So meditation is so vital. Okay, it's like wrestling with a text until it blesses you. You know, to use the Jacob example. I've talked about it this way before. It's like a middle discipline between reading and prayer. Okay, or study and prayer. What do I mean by that? So when you slow down like this and you're thinking about what you're reading, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want Okay, you know what that means, right? You might have to say, I shall not want. Well, I want all kinds of things. Well, oh, I won't lack for anything. That's what that means. Okay, you slowed down. Now I know what it means. But, man, I don't live that way oftentimes. When I'm grumbling and I'm covetous and woe is me and what have you done for me lately? Do you see how it leads right to prayer? Oh, God, 
you are my shepherd. You've been so, help me trust you. But also you may like have to dig in a little bit deeper because you go on in Psalm 23 and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What in the world does that mean? You've heard that a bunch of times, but you never stopped and thought about what in the world it means. So this middle discipline of meditation, just going over and over, prayerfully thinking and, you know, squeezing the grace out of it. I want to drink this in. I want to believe this. I want it to be real to me. So you see how it's the middle discipline? It shoots you to deeper study. It shoots you to deeper prayer. You could also say it's like warming yourself at the fire of God's truth and love. Like, aren't we cold? How many times you just wake up and you're just ice cold? And you're like, I need you to wake my heart up. I need you to breathe life into me, revive me. So Richard Lovelace wrote this, faith must warm itself at the fire of God's love instead of having to steal love and self-acceptance from other sources. We are not saved by the love we exercise, but by the love we trust. So think about that in light of meditating on gospel truth. We love because he first loved us. So how are we gonna love today? I need to get by the fire of God's love toward me in Christ so that I am warm and ready to love others today. So it's, these are just some ways to describe meditation. It's, it's thinking a truth out and then praying a truth in, you could say. So we need to do this day and night, which is actually a Marism, you know, wink, wink to the prayer meeting crowd. That's a little inside joke. If you came to prayer meeting, you would be on the inside. Sorry. You can join us this Wednesday. Um, actually, yeah, I was an idiot this Wednesday and thought something was a marism and it wasn't, and I realized it. And at the end of prayer meeting, I was like, you know what, everybody? I was wrong. Anyway, so a marism is like when you say, hey, we searched high and low for the keys. Where did you search? Just you know, down on the ground and just up above the cabinets? No, you searched everywhere. So it's the poles, meaning everything in between. So day and night is like all the time, as much as you can, okay? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to start with literally morning and night, but the psalmist is getting at more than that. So anybody convicted? <laughs> like, I could be, I'm convicted even though, you know, studying God's word is part of my job. Okay, so it's good. If, if we need to be convicted, fine. But the point here is not to berate you and guilt you into line. The point is to bless you. Do you realize this? That's God's purpose this morning. He wants to bless you. How blessed is the person who walks this path, who met, delights in God's word and meditates on it day and night? So God actually wants to motivate you to bless you. He doesn't just say, you know, get your Bible reading plan done because I said so. Look at the results of this blessed path. Look at the blessedness. This is an invitation. You head in through the door of Psalm 1 and there's this beautiful illustration, beautiful invitation 
when we see the results of meditating on God's word day and night. This man is like a tree. Look at verse three. He's like a tree planted. There's stability. He's planted by streams of water. There's a source of vitality that yields its fruit in its season. It's productive. It's fruitful. Its leaf does not wither. It's durable. Even when things, when the hot winds blow, it doesn't wither because the roots are in the river. So, the word is like rich soil and water and sunshine for your soul. What happens if you don't see any fruit? How many of you came in feeling dry and barren? So what should you do? Scramble and tape some fruit on your branches? No. What does this psalm say? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Go down to the roots. Where are your roots? Are you walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers? Or are your roots in the river of the word? I remember years ago, it was a Friday morning, 6 a.m. men's Bible study, and um, not worth trying to review what we were talking about, but I remember at one point, Rob Alakel's wheels were turning, and he said, Roots aren't fruit-focused. They're water-focused. Huh. So, do you see the point? Like, you could focus on, I, I need to have more fruit in my life. I need to have more fruit. I need to do more. I need to sign up for this. And, it, and you'd be like taping apples on a tree branch. Organic growth is what this is after. Do you see it? The roots need to be in the river so that you're nourished and strengthen so that you bear organic fruit. We need to be water-focused, and then the fruit will come. I love the parallel in Psalm 92, verses 12 to 14. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of Yahweh. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. It's because we're planted in God's presence. Our nourishment comes from him. It's kind of like John 15, isn't it? Abide in me and my words in you and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me, I in you and you will bear much fruit. So growth is organic, right? So this, listen to this quote by Derek Kidner. The promised immunity of the leaf from withering is not independence from the rhythm of the seasons, but freedom from the crippling damage of drought. Okay, so there are gonna be seasons like winter, suffering, but that doesn't mean that God is not at work. That doesn't mean that you are not the real thing because things are happening in winter that are essential to future fruitfulness, right? So growth is, fruitfulness is seasonal. Growth is organic. So the promised immunity of the leaf from withering is not independence from the rhythm of the seasons, but freedom from the crippling damage of drought. Doesn't mean you won't go through a drought, 
but you will be sustained through the drought. Doesn't mean you won't go through the winter, but you will not die in that sense as far as your spiritual life is concerned. And then there's this quote by John Newton about, again, the the organic, slow nature of growth. Fear not, only believe, wait, and pray. Expect not all at once. A Christian is not of hasty growth like a mushroom, but rather like the the oak, the progress of which is hardly perceptible, but in time becomes a great deep-rooted tree. So that should be encouraging and helpful. We're not gonna become an oak overnight. Acorns don't become oaks overnight. But it's so essential that we regularly have our roots in the river if we're ever going to grow and bear fruit. So that's what this blessed man does and what he looks like. He's like a tree. Don't you wanna be like a tree? I mean, the alternative is really dangerous. Verse four, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff. So the contrast is you can either be like this tree or you can be chaff. Just you toss up, you know, you winnow the wheat and you toss it up in the air and the chaff just blows away with the slightest breeze. It's just weightless and worthless. So those are the options. As you head in the front door here of the Psalms and there's a fork in the road, do you want the blessed, fruitful, life-giving path or this path of death and empty, weightless chaff? Life or death, flourishing or perishing, okay? So that's the picture in Psalm 1 and it actually leads right into Psalm 2. And basically, the wicked in Psalm 1 gets writ large in Psalm 2. Okay, so the wicked at the end of Psalm 1, each of these individuals, the wicked, they're not so, they're like chaff. Well, writ large is nations and rulers. So this is how personal opposition to God goes national or international. So let's look at Psalm 2 and read that together. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. Now this is the anointed one speaking in verse 7. Yahweh said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So this would have some initial and immediate application to the king of Israel, but this king certainly is someone bigger and greater than David or Solomon. It's ultimately speaking of King Jesus. 
And so verses 10 to 12. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Pay homage to the son, lest he be angry, for his wrath is quickly kindled. And then this bookend. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we have this national opposition, the rulers and their opposition to God. So this psalm is true for Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping. They can try as they might, but ultimately, regardless of how much power they wield, the true sovereign king sits in the heavens and laughs. And he has set his king already in Zion, city of God, on his holy hill. Jesus Christ is king of kings and lord of lords and one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the Father. The nations rage, Psalm 46 says, the kingdoms totter, right? but he utters his voice and the earth melts. (laughs) So here is the true sovereign and he has installed his true king, the king of kings and one day, very soon, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of Christ and all opposition will be done away with. Jesus is king. The nations are his. He is gathering in his redeemed from every tongue and tribe and people and nation and no one and nothing can ultimately stop him. And so, therefore, everyone should submit to the son while there's still time. Bow the knee to the one true king. So resistance to this king is futile. We're not going to spend time unpacking, you know, every verse of Psalm 2. But see the big picture. Resistance is futile, but refuge is fruitful. It is wonderful. Blessed are all who take refuge in King Jesus. So bow the knee now and be blessed. Lest you be forced to bow the knee later and perish. So again, there's two paths, right? It's either blessing or perishing. And King Jesus comes to us this morning, to everyone here, everyone on the live stream, and if you have not bowed the knee to King Jesus yet, you haven't recognized your sin, turned from it, trusted in him as your only hope, you need to hear that you will perish apart from him. If you're not trusting him as your savior, you are in this place as the wicked, even if you're nice. Like we all naturally are sinful. We wanna be little kings of our own little fiefdom, you know? We wanna be gods. We wanna be in charge of our lives. And the wicked are like chaff and the way of the wicked will perish. There's no way to stand in the congregation of the righteous if you are not standing in Christ because he came first not to judge but to save, to give his life so that all of your unrighteousness could be paid for 
and you could be given his righteousness so that you could stand in the congregation of the righteous. So if you haven't trusted him yet, do it now. If you have, then hear again this path of blessing to meditate on God's word, to take delight, to fight for your appetites and your delights, to not allow other things to own your affection and to run to Jesus as your refuge day in and day out. So let's look third here at the blessed bookends. Okay, so blessed is the man is how Psalm 1-1 starts. How does it end? 2-12, blessed are all who take refuge in King Jesus, in the Son. So here's the simple point. Enter daily, brothers and sisters, through the double doors. Actually, Dwight, you mentioned this. I don't know if you remember this, but years ago you mentioned that the door to the Psalter is a double door. Psalm 1 and 2 go together. Habits and habitation. You could think about it that way. What are your habits as far as where are you taking your cues? Where are you getting your counsel? What's shaping who you are? Run to the word. And habitation, where are you taking refuge? Where are you dwelling? Where are you living? Blessed is the one who takes refuge in King Jesus. Come to me. I will give you rest. Come to me. I will feed your soul. I'll satisfy you. Come to me. I'll give you strength. Like the song we sung, where else can we go, Lord? You alone have the words of life. So enter daily, brothers and sisters, through the double doors. Habits and habitation. Double doors of blessing. (laughs) God wants to give a double barrel blessing here to change the metaphor. These doors are open wide and God's inviting us in. So, last point. Pursue, trust, and delight. Meditate day and night. Okay? So, this has got to get down to brass tacks. This has got to get down to, you know, Monday morning and practicality. So, can I encourage you to meditate on this week's psalm all week and do that for the whole series. Spend a week in Psalms 1 and 2. Spend a week in Psalm 32. Spend a week in Psalm 34, 40, 84. So how do you do that? What do you do? Well, Chris, you want to flash up the So I don't know if you grabbed one of these sheets from the lobby, okay? So the sermon notes are out there on the the table in the lobby. On the back of the sermon sheet is this, okay? This may not be helpful. You may start to think about high school, you know, grammar and like diagramming sentences and you're like, oh, and you start to twitch and whatever. So if that's the way it is, fine. But what I've found to be very helpful, and some of you found this helpful, people ask me to send these um, periodically, is to have the passage printed out in such a way that I can really slow down and see the flow of thought and I take it with me when I go for a prayer walk. 
and I slow down and drink. You could do this on your knees. You could do this anywhere, but just do you see how this slows you down and how blessed is the man who walks not? You see there's this structure here. Oh, how blessed is the man his delight is in Yahweh's Torah. And in his Torah, he meditates day and night. I really need to focus here. Lord, please give me delight in your word. Like, I'm yawning so often. I'm like, my mind is going everywhere. Would you please cultivate, help me cultivate delight. Would you help me to taste and see that you're good? You see? So you're meditating, you're reading, you're thinking, and you're praying. It's the middle discipline. It's doing it. It's happening. He meditates on it day and night. Lord, what should this look like? With my life, what's realistic as far as how, like, is it note cards? Is it sticking on a bathroom window? Is it in the car? Is like, where, where do I put this? How do I do this? Help me know how to do this because I want to be like this tree. I don't want to be like chaff. I don't want to be dry and barren. I want to be fruitful and durable and stable. So help me, Lord. So do you see how slowing down helps you see what's there so that you can understand it and apply it and pray it? And then next slide, um, Chris. Psalm 17, if you noticed when Tom read that, sounded a lot like Psalm 1. So this would just be like a meditation exercise. Compare the two. Because in Psalm 1, here, I'll do this, sorry. Equal opportunity. Um, so in Psalm 1, it's um, the wicked are not so. But this kind of unpacks that a little bit further. Here it's a shrub. There it was chaff. But here's one interesting thing. What's the source of the tree-like stability and fruitfulness in Psalm 1? Go ahead. Somebody. Okay. In Psalm 1. What leads to the tree-like stability, fruitfulness? Meditation. Yeah, delighting and meditating on God's word. What leads to it here? Trust. Any connection? Again, you can think about that. Faith comes from hearing and hear. You see? So anyway, this is worth meditating on in its own right alongside of Psalm 1. Okay. So let me just close with this. Again, pursue trust and delight. Trust Psalm 17. I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17. And delight Psalm 1. Meditate day and night. Okay? So I want you to, I'm going to close by just having us think about this. We know about the dynamics of addiction, don't we? I mean, even if you've never been like hardcore addicted to substance of some sort, we know the dynamics of addiction maybe when it comes to our phone or news or social media or whatever. Sadly, also porn. What if we got addicted to the word? So if you really are kind of like addicted to your phone, 
and you don't have it with you, you're kind of like, like, and you have to stand in line. You're thinking you wish you had your phone or what you want to check. There's all these prompts, like internal little prompts to check this or that, whatever. What if we felt that way about the word? Like if we missed the word that day, we were like starving. Like, don't you want this? <laughs> Again, the, the point is not to like, you're all a bunch of, you know, pathetic losers because you're not reading the Bible enough. That's not the point. It's, this is the path of blessing. It's so easy to f- like nibble on or try to find what we're looking for. You know, we incline to so many other things and God is inviting us. Double doors are wide open saying, come on in, come on in. There's blessing here. I want you to be stable and durable and fruitful. So let's pursue this week trust and delight and meditate day and night. Deuteronomy 32, Mark read it. It's no trifle. It's another way to translate that. It's not an empty word. It's not a nothing. This is not a little thing. It is our very life. We don't live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, brothers and sisters, Bethel, let's go for the blessing this week and through this series. God's holding this blessing, holding it out for us, offering it to us. Let's go get it. So we're gonna close by singing Speak, O Lord. And usually we sing this song when we do sing it. It's before the sermon, fitting but I think it's fitting to sing it at the end now in response because we're singing in a sense for every day in fact you might want to even play this you know each morning or whenever you you know read your bible on a regular basis play this song before you read as a prayer so listen to these words and then let's sing and pray them together here as the musicians come up, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. That the light of Christ may be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. And it goes on. So let's sing this song as a prayer Lord, would you do whatever it takes that we would hunger for you, that we would feed on your word and feed on Christ. Whoever comes to me will never ever hunger. Whoever believes in me will never ever thirst. Help us, Lord, to taste and see that you are good. Satisfy us with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad in you. Do it, Lord, for your great name and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.